Kia ora, no mai haere mai and welcome to the Our Cooperative Podcast. Uh, this podcast is charged with introducing you to some of the weirdest, wonderful and most amazing people we have across our cooperative. These people every single day go out to sell, manufacture and move the 16 billion litres of milk that you produce on farm every single year. Uh, and they are in the far-flung corners of the world and it's my job to introduce you to them. Today, a uh, little bit of a health warning, a little bit of a health warning because we are joined by an Australian. Yes, we do have a few in the business. Uh, today, we're having a chat with Jeff Meyer, who is the Global General Manager of our channel uh, division within our food service business. We're going to have a quick cordero. G'day, Jeff. How are you? Very good, Richard, and uh, hello to all the farmers um, in New Zealand. Where are you calling from? Where, where are you today, Jeff? Um, well, I'm surprising I'm back in Singapore, so I've sort of been around the world just recently, so my role's global, but uh, today I'm calling from Singapore. Fantastic. So, Jeff uh, would be fair to say the godfather of food service within uh, within Fonterra, but before we get into food service, your role in, in that, tell us a little bit about yourself, Jeff. Oh, look, I've been with uh, Fonterra for 12 years now, but uh, just personally, I've, uh, I'm married, it's, uh, coming up towards 20 years, I've got a, a boy and a girl. Uh, my wife is, uh, is Chinese, which is probably reflects the fact that I've probably spent in the last 20 years, I've spent more time in Asia than I, than I have uh, back in Australia or New Zealand. Um, I've been in FMCG for, for 25 years, uh, but... Well, I start wasn't really where I started out. I was I used to work underground in in mining, um, and also in smelters. So it's a bit of a change from FMCG. But I've um, been with companies such as Nestle or Cadbury Sweeps, Pepsi, um, George Western Foods are some of the com- uh, companies that uh, your uh, listeners might be uh, aware of. Um, mainly in sales and marketing roles, but also done a lot of work in distribution and uh, and uh, manufacturing. Awesome. And so living in Singapore, uh, daily life, tell us a little bit, what, what, is, what is daily life in Singapore like? Uh, it's, it's a really interesting, uh, for most people see Singapore as a bit of a stopover, but um, look, I like to describe uh, Singapore as Disneyland for adults. Uh, <laughs> everything's everything's uh, perfect in here. Um, I think that, uh, like with anything in Asia, food is a, is a, is a big part of it. And I, also the locals up here, I think, that get up breakfast and is really important, and I think the the golden hour of lunch. It's a it's a hard the hardest thing to do in Singapore is try and get a seat between twelve and one. Um, I think the things up here that it's uh, for for the government is they've spent a, a lot of money in, in promoting a quality of health and life, and so there's a lot of exercise that goes on as well. So I think uh, that would be uh, rounded out with a lot of retail therapy. So I think what they say about Singaporeans, if you're not eating and shopping, you're driving between eating and shopping. So that's what a typical day is. So eating, that's a, it's a bit of a, uh, that's a good sort of uh, intro to what is the wonderful world of food service. Um, you've been involved with Food Service Fonterra from when it was really a, a fledgling business that really no one had heard about to kind of where it is today, which is a central part of our strategy. Talk, can you talk a little bit about the history of food service in Fonterra and kind of the origins and, and where we're at today? Uh, sure, Richard. Look, I actually, it was food service that brought me into the business here in Fonterra. Um, in truth, we didn't even know who was using our product you know, 12 or 13 years ago. We didn't even know it was going, we had some ideas it was going into bakery. We 
we didn't know where it was being used uh, around the world because uh, we used to sell through distributors. And so we wrote a, a, a strategy, which was a, a global food service strategy to say, well, okay, how do we get closer to our customers and is there potential to, to value? So that's been morphing over the, for five or six years um, when I first joined and, and then uh, more recently, uh, when I say more recently, I'm talking in the, in the last five years, is there's been this big push um, where they've realised the, the opportunity in, in out-of-home dining. And in 2015 in the US, it clicked over to 51% of uh, food consumed in the US happens outside of home. And in Asia, uh, that's a significant, uh, in certain markets, it's significantly higher than and the trend just keeps growing in that, that area. So. I think the differences uh, of the history over those 12 years that I've been involved is that we've um, really seen this movement towards um, moving from out of home and Fonterra has been really well positioned and sometimes by good fortune, um, but we've always had really good products in some of the key channels in food service and, and we've really been able to ride on the, the back of quality product, but more recently really understanding how that product's being used. Yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, as someone in Jeepers, uh, you know, you taught me a hell of a lot about, about food service and, and, you know, the nuances of distributor management and all that. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, you, you mentioned it, maybe right products, right channels, but why is it that, that Fonterra has been so successful and why do you think we have the right to win going forward in, in this segment? Well, I think, I think the food service is really interesting and I'll, and I'll deal in it in two ways, Richard. I think the first one is to say it's food. And that's the product that our manufacturing and our farmers supply. Then the service part is where we add value to it. And I think that uh, where our success has not been what we've done, it's what we've chosen not to do. And we've really targeted um, uh, areas in our for growth that we see moving forward. And I'll give you an example that we've had products that are just fantastic. Our butters, our creams, and that are just fantastic for, for bakery channel. And in my first time living in China, um, oh, it was 1997, there were seven Western bakeries in China. Mm. Today, there are over 400,000. My first question is where do all the bakers come from? But really what we've had is the right products um, to really grasp that growth. And therefore also what we've been able to do is also look at the, the service component. What do these bakers need now? A lot of them know how to bake, um, but we do help them with their back of house um, and how they use dairy and explain you know, how to handle it. But also we help the front of house, how do they communicate to customers, how explain how dairy premiumizes it, how dairy makes things more natural, how dairy changes taste and texture. And there's no doubt that the appetite um, for the mouthfeel and the flavour profile and the naturalness and premiumness of dairy is, is something that, um, particularly in Asia, but all around the world, that uh, consumers are really uh, craving for. And so why I'd be positive about the future, Richard, is um, right now, uh, dairy sort of, when I first started dealing in Asia, and I, and I said I've been working in Asia for over 20 years now, uh, dairy was largely unaffordable. Mm. Um, but the rise of the middle class um, in China, and Richard, you oversaw an explosion's growth. I think I think the compound growth in China during your period, like there was 35% for five years in a row, which is quite significant. But that's because China was able to afford it, um, the Chinese right. consumers. 
And, and that's about to happen in Southeast Asia. Where there's certain markets that have Singapore is obviously one of those, but it's only small. But Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, all the Asian tigers. Uh, as, the, as the money or the middle, rise of the middle class and money becomes available, uh, dairy is one of the choices and it's one of the popular choices to spend money on. Mm, it's interesting. Well, one of the things you, you touched on there, and um, it, it seems to be a bit of a reoccurring theme, but I'm, I'm keen to understand how does the food service customer and, and ultimately the food service consumer, mainly across Asia, what is the role of sustainability? You know, you know, is it coming through in food service customers? Is you know, are they wanting to understand origin and how it's made in that, or is is that still a cons consumer side of things? Um, look. Where I see things at the moment is to, for us, has been where we've been successful in food services, be ahead of the curve. So I, I think sustainability is a really good call out. Where we are on the cycle at the moment um, is where, firstly, it's just product understanding. Mm -hmm. um, really, what's happening in food service now through the Anchor brand and the Anchor Food Service brand, Anchor Food Professionals, is that customers are concerned where the product comes from. That's the people who take our product, buy our product, and, and make product with it. However, more and more and increasingly, what we're seeing is they're asking, can they co-brand? Can they use the Anchor brand? So it's a little bit about the Intel Pentium, um, yeah, the Anchor inside, um, and it's like the Pentium processor inside uh, all computers, because customers are now wanting to know where the product comes from. They yeah. want to know that it's safe. Um, where things are on sustainability, that I think is the next generation. So I would be encouraging the work that's being done um, by Fonterra, you know, our waterways, our fencing, mm. um, the work that we're doing. I would continue to do this because what you're actually doing is building um, value into your product as a farmer. You're building product, building value in there. That in the next few, in the next few years, and I'm talking in the next one to five, we'll be able to exploit that because consumers will be demanding that. They mm. want to know that um, whatever's being done is being done on a sustainable basis. And the, the, the YER, which we call, is a term with the consumers that we tell, that's the young, the educated and the rich. They are millennials. And their yeah. mindset is different from people of, uh, of, of my era. Yeah, it's interesting. I was reading um, a survey yesterday and something, 78% of millennials now say that they will not only switch their buying habits to more eco-friendly products, but also be willing to spend more if those products can be, you know, seen to be eco-friendly. So it's a, it's a massive opportunity, huh? and that will flow through to, you know, out of home dining. Look, we're already seeing that we uh, are able to command a premium because of the naturalness and the quality and mm. just the safety factor of our product. And in some areas, it's, it's quite significant. It's up to 20, 25%. Um, I just see that the expectations, and it's, this is largely being driven through education of uh, uh, major chains that have come into food service and into Asia, mm. such as Starbucks and McDonald's, who are doing the explanation. You know, it's a fair trade coffee. It's about yeah. where our products come from. So all of a sudden, whether whether a, uh, a a product source is sustainable is now on the radar. But I think it will really take grip over the next two to two to five years. Yeah, that's good, and I, 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 we really are setting ourselves up for a win there. Hey, um, one of I guess one of the the the, the great parts of your job um, is you you know you get to see <clears throat> really cutting edge what what's happening in some of the coolest, newest, biggest you know uh, food service customers around the world. You got any great stories from Southeast Asia of cool you know food service operators or things that they're doing a bit differently that you know would be worthwhile sharing? Yeah, look. I 
I think that uh, one of the things, and I, I know that uh, Richard, you've probably been talking to people uh, about about China, mm -hmm. um, and I think that Southeast Asia is picking up a lot of uh, on on some of those trends that are that are moving moving through here. But I, I think the uh, the one that we're sort of looking at at the moment, um, expanding out of the commerce in China, are things uh, like. New product applications in beverage, mm -hmm. um, and Richard, you saw the tea macchiato, which was mm -hmm. a, a combination of cheese teas, which is now now flowing um, out into other parts of the business. And, and interestingly enough, I was in South America the other day, talking to a, a Chinese speaking, a Chinese Spanish speaking person, trying to use my limited Chinese, um, educating him because they just <laughs> opened up the first tea shops in Santiago, Chile. Wow. And, and they couldn't believe that um, someone from sort of probably Fonterra could come in and help them with recipes and what to do and how to manage that business. So those sort of applications we're seeing there, and I think uh, more akin to uh, what I'm seeing here now in uh, in the beverage area, we're about to launch Beer Macchiato uh, next week at the <laughs> Beer Festival in China. And this is where uh, cream and uh, cream cheese uh, tea, as uh, similar teas, are going to be put on top of beer. Um, and this will be a, uh, some of the some of the big stories that are uh, as far as application. I can't imagine drinking a beer with uh, cream on top of it, uh, but in Asia it seems quite logical, and we've already had some successful trials. But one of the more success stories, back to our business basics, um, we we had a, a customer that um, was working. He was uh, what we would call. Um, uh, a value, a value to middle, a middle level bakery, and uh, he's. We had a, a working session with him about profitability. He was using uh, um, a lot of dairy, and we convinced him to go to 100% dairy. But we helped him talk to his customers about the ingredients inside, and we we started a premiumisation trend. And from mm. that, we were able to lift his. Um, margins from when he was making 9% EBITs. Now this man actually shared everything, the recipes, his point of sale data, everything as a trusted, um, using us as a trusted advisor. Um, taking it through by changing his recipes, helping him with his costing on his products, um, slightly upgrading some of the applications, not getting too far away from what his consumers know, but introducing to social media. We were able to lift his margins from 7% EBIT up to 24 over a sustained period, and we tracked this over 12 months. Now, the great news for him, I think it's a bit like anybody, he didn't have to do a lot of difference, but we're, if someone came in and said, listen, we just want to change the way you uh, lay at your desk and we're going to pay you two and a half times more um, uh, per year, I think you'd probably change the layout of your desk. And <laughs> I think that um, in the videos that he's done for us and educating him, he, he, he thanked us for giving him the courage to premiumise his range, and that was done through highlighting the value of dairy in his products. Yeah, so I think that's one of the great stories. Yeah, it's awesome, and and um, I guess that's where you know, as as a business, that that moves us out of the commodity space and really into that value added space, and it allows us to charge premiums over and above you know what what would be bulk butter or bulk cream or, or whatever that is. That that's 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 fascinating. Hey, um, that kind of touches on the point around. You know, one of the big things in food service is 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 having the functionality of the product. Can you talk about you know about our maybe our butters or our mozzas or you know you know what that functional advantage is and and, and how it lets us win? 
It's, it's, it's interesting. One, one of the things, the first things that we've done about six, six years ago that uh, my team are responsible for, we <coughs> actually mapped the VPs and we had a lot of hidden VPs in our products that we didn't really understand. Sorry, VPs are value propositions? Um, Thank you, Richard, for a bit, a bit of, a bit of a marketing talk for me there. Um, yeah, the, and one of the things, well, I just used our cream. And so we had a, a product that we first started um, was a product that we we actually started reducing the fat to take some costs out of it. And it was for one of our culinary creams. And what actually, we by doing this and the way we'd, we'd structured the product, we had a product not only that uh, had, a, had a lot of fat, but what we had a product that was pre-reduced, so normally it takes five minutes to reduce 100 mils of cream. So that five minutes translates back into a labour saving. Mm. We also found amazingly when we did some testing that it didn't split with um, acids um, uh, that normally you would use for tomato or fish, and so that was great. So anyone using this cream-based thing in a bain marie, um, they got a product that didn't um, break down, and so that they, the product would last longer or look better in, in there. But also, we started seeing a number of um, a number of uh, values uh, about what that did for consistency of product, what that did for coating on pasta that it was superior. And so we were able to help people not only then sort of save money with um, with this yield because they, they didn't when they reduce product, they actually lose 25% of uh, the moisture um, mm. that goes up the flue. So there's not only saving there, but they actually end up with a better product. So our creams are our hero products. Mm -hmm. uh, we have products that are really suited in bakery, and we're now even building out further. Um, that tea macchiato, the, the nature of our cream, which is uh, peculiar to New Zealand, um, so thank you farmers for this one, or thank you the cows for this, is that it layers very well, it doesn't blend in, it, it, it really holds its form. Another one, which is an interesting one, I think that everyone sort of for pizza and pasta, our mozzarella. Uh, we've got some technology that uh, you know is, is world class, but it allows um, not only for, the, for a product that gives you great flavour, um, but also the way it's cut and the way it's able to be diced, we can give really ac um, accurate portioning. And because we found out up to. 15% can be overdosed um, on there, but by using uh, using having a product with a consistent thread, it's very easy for, for customers to dispense. Mm. And just my build on that, Richard, is just recently, um, we, uh, and this is the team in China, which is now being rolled out through Southeast Asia as well, is that we found that the stretch component, which is the signature of our, our mozzarella, that our product holds up really well in, um, in in really hot conditions, and this has now been included into uh, Chinese hot pot in uh, within concluding cheese into uh, the shrimp paste um, balls and other other types of products dumplings, and that um, experience of dining where you get the stretch and you get mm -hmm. this feel of premiumisation and abundance is now being adopted and fused into uh, into Asian cuisine. That's a huge opportunity for the future. Huge opportunity. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Hey, um, what a, it's always a pleasure to chat to you, Jeff. Um, I, I could I could sit and listen to you for hours, but I just wanted to, you know, fifty one percent of of food in the US being eaten out of home. I mean, that that's, you know, and that I I I, I totally agree with you that I wouldn't say most parts of Asia. I'd say all of Asia. Um, that, that number is probably understated, and in China that number is probably closer to 85 or 90 percent. I love that we've uh, got the cheese tea uh, infiltrating into Santiago. Uh, that was not a place I would have imagined, and I'm actually quite peeved off that uh, 
two, two, you know, over two years in China drinking about 5,000 tea macchiatos and they wait till I leave to launch a beer macchiato because I would have uh, rated myself to be a chief taster on that. Hey, Jeff, you, you're a good man. You're doing good things for our co-op. Any, any final messages uh, for our farmers out there? Uh, look, I think that um, one of the things I, I would just re echo the, the investment, we know this is expensive, but the investment that uh, you guys are making on sustainability to keep us ahead, I would say uh, that is uh, keep doing those sorts of things. That is really going to be adding value to your product uh, in the future. And I, and I would see that translating into stronger returns. Keep doing that sort of work in there. And just firstly, uh, from the, the team up here in Asia, I just want to say thanks very much. Um, we, we're described by our competitors in food service as blue markets, and that's because our packaging is blue. And when they see, that's the name our competitors gave to us because they see so much of our product, oh, that's a blue market, and that's built on the back of it. So keep turning out the quality, but keep moving forward and looking to do those things differently, like as, as I highlighted with sustainability. Thank you very much, Jeff. Have a good day. Say hi to the family for me and take care. You too. Say hello to Fran and the kids. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our cooperative podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. And if there are people or areas of the business that you'd like to hear from, just let me know. Hope you're all having a great day. Enohora.